Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcoming your Lawn and Garden questions for Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Happy 4th and good morning to you, Mary. Great to work with you once again. Is Mary there? Well, I thought she was. Well, I'll tell you what, in the meantime... I want to give us our, our phone number and uh, our text number. Same number, by the way. So if you have, and we're already getting lawn and garden questions, 651-989-9226 is the phone number and the text number, 651-989-9226. Mary, good morning. Happy 4th of July to you. Happy 4th of July to you, Denny. Great to hear your voice. Uh, we got our technology working now, so happy to talk about lots of things gardeners can be doing. This is a very busy time for fruit, fruit and vegetable gardening. We're starting to harvest things and see lots of insects out. So I've got lots of tips for gardeners today and happy to answer everyone's questions. Well, excellent. Yeah, let's let's talk definitely about those and, and this hot weather, what kind of havoc it can wreak on uh, our uh, plants. I don't know about vegetables, but uh, what, what, what kind of vegetables like this kind of weather, this hot weather? Well, I think there, there are a lot of plants that really don't mind the heat. So the hot weather is good for a lot of our plants as long as they have adequate water. Uh, the hot weather is not so bad. However, it does affect the fruit set of tomatoes and peppers. They, these plants, even though they like hot conditions for growing, the actual fruit set to get the, the tomatoes to set and the peppers and so on, if it's warmer than 85 degrees in the daytime or warmer than 70 at night, uh, tomatoes don't like that, but they also don't like it cold. So if it gets to below 55, they don't like that either. Peppers have a little bit more tolerance, but and hot peppers especially will set better with warmer conditions. But yes, the the, the flower sets are very fragile, but then once the fruit is set, it's okay if it's warm. We. Uh... We were talking here in our, our, our house about the, the lawn. Now, I'm, I'm letting my uh, grass grow a little bit longer, and I, I would think, it's my belief anyway, that uh, given this forecast, which is going to be 90, 92 the rest of the week again, that uh, the longer the, the grass, the, the better protection for it. Am I thinking correctly? Yes, that is correct. 
uh, it gives it more uh, capacity with with more uh, more leaf blade there to photosynthesize. It doesn't put it under so much stress. So yes, keeping it a little bit longer when we get to these really uh, hot conditions is helpful. Good. I'm doing the right thing for once. That's good. You are. <laughs> 651-989-9226 is our phone number and text number. We're already getting, as I said, text messages and phone calls. And Mary has promised to give us some tips throughout this hour as well. So we'll we'll bring in those ideas as we move through the hour. But call us or text us. Ask Mary your question. Like Ken calling in from Blaine this morning. Ken, uh, Mary's listening. Good morning. Um I have an Ann Magnolia, and I noticed the other day that I have, like, on the uh, branches, uh, white spots, um, kind of a lot of them. And I'm wondering what that is. I mean, it looks kind of like a scale or something. And So I'm wondering um, what the treatment would be. And I have other magnolia trees. Does it, is it uh, contagious to other magnolia trees? So, Ken, unfortunately, you and I both have magnolia scale. That, yes, that is a devastating insect problem on magnolias. It does favor some more than others, but it can get on all of the magnolias. So uh, you can try washing this off with water, so heavy spray of water. You can try taking, uh, put on a pair of gloves and just rub your hands over the stems and you'll kill a lot of those uh, scale insects. If you can prune out some of the branches that are totally white covered that, and just remove them, that's also a way to, t- to get rid of some of it. But it's really hard to control this without using a chemical and the chemical control the time to do that is when the crawlers are out, and that is mid-August. So right now, using a chemical really won't help very much. Uh, so I do some pruning, try to hand clean or water wash off some of those scales, and then mark on your calendar about August 15th, late August, early September, when you put the chemical control on. And the chemical control, the best one is a systemic that you can put on the ground and the tree will take it up, or you can use a spray to put on the foliage itself. Unfortunately, this chemical control is also what is harmful for pollinators. Now, there won't be, poll- there won't be flowers or bees on your tree at the time you want to treat it, but it still could get on other uh, plants nearby. So hopefully you can do some control just with pruning and sanitation, and uh, but be very, very watchful of it um, because the magnolia scale is a very uh, it's a difficult thing to control. All right. Thanks for the call, uh, Ken. 651-989-9226 if you want to call in your question, uh, Mary, or uh, send a text. Either one, same number applies. Before we break, Catherine is calling in from uh, Blaine, I believe. Catherine, thanks for waiting. What's your question for Mary? Good morning, Danny, and good morning, Mary. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Mary, I have a, I have a well, I'm trying to grow clematis, and um, I put three in. I've got one that survived. Now, what can I do? It's on the east side. Um, what can I do to help it along so it does survive? Uh, 
the site is really, uh, Kalamatis can be sometimes very picky on what site where they will survive. Um, so I would recommend that newly transplanted or newly planted ones like yours, you make sure that it has enough water. And if we don't get water every week, make sure that you're, you're watering it. Clematis tend to like shade at the bottom and sun at the top of the plant. So they like their roots to be cool and shaded. So if you can plant other things around the base of it, so the bottom of it is shaded, it doesn't have to be right on top of it, but some shade so it isn't real hot on the whole plant. And um, just good luck with that. Uh, many people uh, have clematis that live um, a long time. And uh, if you get them in the right spot, they can do well. East side should be good. All right. I'll tell you what, let's uh, take a quick break here. We have more show to come. Uh, call in your question for Mary or uh, send a text. Same number, 651 651- Nine eight nine nine two two six. We call it our Smart Garden Show on this July fourth, and we'll call it that again uh, next week as well. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny along here with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota, helping you out with your lawn and garden questions today. Uh, Mary, we have callers and we have texters. Let me just grab a text here, and maybe we can grab one of your uh, your tips that you brought with uh, with today. But here's actually two questions from the text line. Uh, one is, should we be fertilizing our boxwoods now? Uh, but they're about three years old, not doing well. And also the second question, our patio tomato plants uh, has some uh, tomato rot. What to do to eliminate the new tomatoes from getting it? So there's a couple of questions for you. Yeah, so you can fertilize your boxwood. It's always a great idea to have a soil test to see if um, if you do have a nutrient deficiency. Uh, boxwoods are pretty tolerant for drier conditions, but when they're new plants, uh, always watering is a good idea. So I would make sure that they have uh, enough water. And uh, yeah, I would do a soil test or use a uh, complete fertilizer around them that uh, can help as well. The patio tomatoes with rot, I assume that's blossom end rot. So that's the bottom of the tomato uh, has a black look to it or a rotten look. That's from uneven watering. So if you have patio, I assume this is in a container, um, that can happen because the water fluctuation is quite great, especially on hot days. Uh, You need to water these container tomatoes at least once a day and sometimes twice a day if the container is small. So just make sure you water it as much as possible, even watering is what will eliminate the blossom end rot. Hmm, interesting. Back to the phones we go. Terry is calling from St. Paul, I believe. Terry, you are on with Mary. Yeah, hi there. Can you hear me? Just fine. Great, thank you. Um, I'm calling you about my climbing rose bush called a baffin. It's eight years old, and it produces lots of blooms. That's not the problem. The problem is is that in the late winter, early spring, a melting ice from the garage roof pounces down on it, and it needs a really good shaping, a good pruning. And I don't know when the best time to prune that is. It should, should it be now in the summer, in the fall, or the spring? Any tricks that you have with that to keep it producing nice blooms? 
Thanks, Terry, for your question. So you have the William Baffin Climbing Rose. This is the biggest rose you can grow in Minnesota. It's a fabulous plant to put on your mailbox, like I have it on the stand behind my mailbox. It, this is a 10-foot-tall big rose with prolific blooms. But it can get quite aggressive. You can get a lot of canes on this plant. So I pruned mine just after it flowers. So I did some pruning on it just uh, this past week. And the other time I prune it is early spring before, just as it's starting to grow, because there are often a lot of dead canes that are on it. In rough winters, the canes will die back to the ground. So real early in the spring, I take out all of the dead wood. And then after it blooms right now uh, is a good time to prune. All right. Uh, that one of the textures that came in a bit ago, uh, Mary, it's, uh, you had mentioned the uh, term fruit set. Can you please ask Mary what she means by fruit set? Yes. So on tomatoes, peppers, uh, all squashes and so on, you will see a lot of flowers. But uh, you have to have the pollination occur. The actual pollen from the male flower or the male parts of the flower has to go onto the stigma, the ovary, and actually uh, cause that fruit to then set and then it will completely develop. So you have to have pollination after you see the flowers. Temperatures can affect the pollen. It can be too heavy or it doesn't develop fully in high temperatures or cold temperatures. And so flowers will fail to set fruit. And that, of course, is very frustrating for gardeners because we're waiting for the fruit to eat it. So that's a frustrating thing to have flowers and then not have any fruit set. So many times we don't see a problem with this, but sometimes we'll have squashes that won't fully develop, cucumbers that will be tiny and rot on the vine because the fruit doesn't uh, set because of usually environmental conditions. Mm. Okay, very good. Back to the phones we go. Shelley, I believe, is calling from Elk River this morning. Shelley, you're on CCO with Mary. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I had a very old, um, I can't remember if it was maple or oak, I think it was maple, that was hit by lightning at least 20 years ago, and it's gone now. But I've planted new maples about five or six years ago. One of them died within two years. The other one is dying this year. Uh, is there something wrong with the soil after the lightning struck that tree? Uh, no, Shelley. Uh, the lightning certainly can kill a lot of trees and damage trees, but it just doesn't have any uh, long-term effect in the soil. There are soil-borne diseases like verticillium wilt that will stay in the soil that might affect your maples, but nothing from the lightning. So I would uh, just urge you to continue to um, plant a diverse variety of trees. Make sure that when you transplant them and they're young, that you give them quite a bit of water. But uh, keep planting your replacement trees. Would uh, Mary, would a, a soil test help that uh, or no? 
Well, you, yeah, soil tests are always a great idea, especially if you haven't done one forever or 10 years or something. That gives you a really good idea of what's going on as far as what your pH is, uh, what the nutrient levels are. We are blessed with great soils in Minnesota. So we do have a lot of great soils, but we have a lot of variable soils from the Anoka Sand Plain to our uh, Lester soil, that's the state soil, lots of variability. So yeah, soil test is always a good idea. The information for that is up on the extension.umn.edu website, or if you just put a uh, soil test in there, you'll uh, uh, get the uh, information page that will tell you how to collect a soil test, how to get a uh, self-mailer um, uh, package that you then mail to the university to get your soil test. And we'll mention the, certainly that website before you take your leave today. And before we take a break, Mary, uh, bottom of the hour break, we'll have another half hour of the show to go for your texts and questions uh, and phone calls. Here's one that says, our very old river birch tree losing parts here and there. Now we have a branch reaching down that should be trimmed off. Does it matter what time of year? Can we do that now? Um, yes, you can do that now. You can prune uh, your birch tree now. Um, it's, it's fine to do that. Uh, oaks, we're still advising till uh, July 15th to wait to do any pruning on oaks because of minimizing the oak wilt damage. But a birch tree, you can prune now. Okay. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, grab a call from Mary in New Prague. So, Mary, you hang on the line. We'll grab some more text messages as well. And maybe, too, uh, Mary, when we come back, we can talk a little bit about uh, the Arboretum and what uh, is or isn't going on there during uh, this particular crazy time. So hang on. We'll be uh, right back with more Smart Garden here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Hey, good morning. Good Saturday morning. Happy 4th of July. We're in the midst of our Lawn and Garden show. We call it Smart Garden. This morning, Mary Meyer from the U of M is helping you out this morning. And before you, Mary, we talk about the Arboretum, we promised Mary a new Prague that uh, she would be up first here. Mary, thank you for waiting. What's your question for Mary? Good morning, Mary. I have two questions. I have a crabapple tree that was just beautiful with blooms and everything, and it died three weeks ago. And... I, I was wondering if that would be fire blight. And my other question is, I have potato bugs that I've been killing a morning and evening. And I was wondering if diatomaceous earth would be a good uh, powder to put on there to kill them. Okay, Mary, I'm sorry to hear about your crab apple dying. Um it, it might be fire blight. Fire blight is a sudden death kill when it happens. What ha happens though with fire blight, it kind of flags. So you, we call that up on the top, a branch will start to die and turn brown quite suddenly. So if you saw brown branches at the top uh, suddenly, um, it could be fire blight. Um, the fact that it died within three weeks so quickly, um, yes. So I I can't come up with anything else that will kill it that, that fast other than like lightning or a storm that would have uh, given you more indication of what happened. Uh, you want to be careful when you replace this tree. If you go, go with something that's not a crab apple, 
unless you get one that's resistant to fire blight, because there there are t- kinds that are resistant to fire blight. Um, and at this point, it's probably totally dead. It's probably hard to even tell to diagnose it at this point as to what killed it. Could be fire blight. Uh, potato bugs are especially bad this year. There are lots of retorts reports of potato bugs in uh, excessive amounts. For home gardeners, uh, hand picking them off, killing them is the best way to go. Diatomaceous earth, I'm not really sure. You could try that. There's nothing wrong with trying it. Um, Normally, we think of that as uh, something that works for slugs and snails uh, because they hate crawling across it. It cuts their bodies. But I think of it as something as a powder to put on the ground, not something that will adhere to plants up on the top where you actually have the potato bugs. But it, it would work on the same principle. It would cut them as they crawl over it. And it is that larva, so maybe it would work. Hmm. All right. Uh, Dexter wants to know, we are looking at replacing a linden tree with a multi-stem blue beech. Uh, do you have any comments on this choice? Thank you. Yes, I think that's a good idea. The blue beech is not as big a tree as a linden was, but uh, we have many more lindens than we do blue beech. So, yes, yeah, so, uh, that should be fine. So what's going on with the Arboretum these days, Mary? Well, the Arboretum is open. Uh, The uh, entry is a little bit different. You do need a ticket to come because we are limited by the number of people that can come. But we have uh, tickets available on a half-hour basis. And if you're a member, it's free. If you're not, it's a $15 per person charge, the normal admission rate. Just go online. And if you can think ahead, that's good because the Arboretum is popular. So many of the dates, uh, like today, I think probably is sold out. But you can go online, and it shows you all the available times and dates. And you make your reservation, and then uh, you show your ticket uh, when you go to the gatehouse. We have several walking trails that are open and great, always a great place to walk. The shrub roses, uh, the tea roses are beautiful now. The prairie has lots of things that are uh, flowering in the prairie and many of the different shrubs. And of course, near the main buildings, we have our annuals that uh, the color theme this year is shades of pink and red. So lots of beautiful annuals that you can see uh, near the main building. Such a great resource. Such a fun place to visit. That's the uh, Minnesota University of Minnesota Landscape Arboretum. Right uh, west, uh, head west on Highway 5 and 41. That's the closest intersection, wouldn't you say, Mary? Yes, that's right. And, uh, yes, yeah, so be sure and think about the Arboretum. Great place to take a walk and uh, get ideas for what to plant in your home. That is. That's another great uh, resource. A uh, texter wants to know, when's the right time to put down grub control granules on my lawn? Well, grub control, this is the time to start thinking about that. Uh, the grub that we are trying to control the most is the Japanese beetle grub or June uh, beetles. Um, they're You have to really, uh, to be effective, you have to really know that you've had this problem in the past. Uh, This is one insecticide you can put down 
that you may not really need to uh, if you haven't had this problem in the past or seeing these insects, Japanese beetles and so on, come out of your lawn. So it's getting to be mid-July is really the time that you put that down when the beetles are small just as they're starting to grow again. And um, But I, I would say make sure that you need to do that rather than just uh, indiscriminately use uh, a pesticide. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's go back to the phones, Mary. I think Natalie is calling in from Bloomington this morning. Natalie, you're on CCO with Mary. Good morning, Mary. Uh, question for you. I have a very huge wisteria, um, probably 10 years old or so, and I've let it just grow its course. And I am wondering, when do I trim it? How far back? It has a lot of trails going out into the ground as well. And the tree that supported it where it could grow up on, I had to take it down. So I'm afraid it'll fall over on the arbor I have it on soon. Yeah, good for you. Well, wisteria doesn't always get so vigorous in our climate. In warmer climates, it's a it's a very big vine. So, yes, you could go ahead and do the pruning on that right now. Um, you might sacrifice a few of the blooms. That's an early spring bloomer, but uh, you, you're going to have to do that because if wisteria gets too big, right, it can topple over everything. It can be devastating on porches, arbors, and so on. So in warmer climates, they do quite a severe heavy pruning on wisteria because it is such an aggressive plant. So I would do it as soon as you can right now. And um, you can cut off quite a bit of this. I mean, you could take off a third of this plant uh, and not harm it. Now, I wouldn't always say that with wisteria in our climate, but the location and plant you have shows that um, it's doing quite well. All right. A texter, Mary, wants to know, should I deadhead my clematis? You know, I don't do that. Uh, I, I don't bother with that. Some of our clematis have beautiful uh, seed pods that are very attractive. Uh, you can if you want to, but you don't have to do that. Okay. It was a lawn question uh, via text. Uh, they want to lay some sod down, but they recently sprayed for weeds. Uh, what do you think the procedure should be What, what, what at the time frame? Well, the herbicide for the weed control won't really affect your sod's ability to grow. My concern is the temperature and the heat uh, oh, yeah. when you're putting down this sod right now because we have such extreme temperatures with the heat. So I would say as long as you can keep the sod uh, well watered and make sure that it is not in any hot area sitting up rolled up because that will really kill it in, with these temperature conditions, uh, put, it, put it down and keep it as cool and well watered as possible. Yeah, that's tough to do with the forecast like I see during the week. Yes, wow. it is, right. Let's... Uh... I tell you what, let's go back to the phones. I think Suzanne is calling in from Roseville this morning. Thanks for waiting, Suzanne. What's your question? Yeah, my question is, is I have um, I have hollyhocks that I've started from seeds. And this year I've noticed that there's yellow um, dots on them. And, in fact, they've gotten so many. It's almost like pock marks, but I don't see any bugs. Um, or a burn. I don't know if it's a burn. 
but it's just on the hollyhocks. I have a large, like a flower, wild flower garden kind of thing for the bees and butterflies. And it's just on the hollyhocks, not on anything else. Yes, you said so hollyhocks are notorious for getting rust, which is usually a red spot, a red or orangey spot on the foliage. That kind of sounds like what you have. If it's more of a brown spot, it might be the four-lined plant bug, which is, boy, that thing is really out this year. I've seen a lot of damage from that. Hollyhock rust is hard to control. And the plant bug, it's past time once you see the damage to control that. So um, the preventative sprays for hollyhock rust, again, it's past time to do that. Hopefully your hollyhocks will just uh, still produce for you. That's a wonderful old-fashioned plant. Often they will still grow and, and bloom even though they have rust on them. Um, so I would just make sure that they, you keep them as well watered as possible. Uh, remove any competition if that's possible or that other plants are shading them or crowding them out. Give them as much sun and as uh, good air circulation as you can. Okay. I know we have to break here in a minute or so, Mary, but did, do you have any other uh, tips, whether they be hot weather tips for our lawns and gardens uh, that you brought well, with, well, uh, today? Yeah, a couple of things I wanted to mention were for apples, people growing apples. This is the time when you need to put out, if, you, if you're if you an organic grower, which many of, our, many of our listeners are, you need to put out your traps for a- apple maggots. So these are the red balls that you can buy and put tangle foot on them. The apple maggots will go to those traps, hopefully, instead of going and uh, making the worm that will then be a problem later in our apple trees. The traps also help with plum curculio. And then if you're growing apples, another method is bagging the, the fruit right now so that the, that's another exclusion method of keeping the insects off of our apples that are organic control. The other thing that's timing right now is the squash vine borer. This is this uh, insect that tunnels and lives in the vine of squashes. So this insect is active now, laying its um, eggs on the vines of the squash. And we will see this in a couple of weeks when I'm on this show again. People will say, my vines are starting to wilt. What's going on with my squash? Because that vine borer is in there. So the vine borer is attracted to yellow, sticky traps. And if you put up, a again, tanglefoot with a yellow, uh, a yellow card or something near your squash, that will attract and kill the, the vine borer. Also, uh, about this time, we can replant squash. So if you, you miss the first one, you, you get the second crop of your squash growing, and that will uh, grow after the life cycle of the squash vine borer. All right, very good. All right, I tell you what, let's take a quick break. Be uh, right back with more phone calls and text messages here on our Smart Garden Show around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. We have a few more minutes of the show to go, and I know we have callers, Mary, and texters as well. Uh, I tell you what, let's go to another Mary, this one calling in from Roseville, I believe, this morning. Mary, thank you. What is your question? 
Good morning. Is it too late to trim my huge mock orange bush? Um, no, you, Mary, it's okay to go trim your mock orange right now. Uh, that's one of the one of the best uh, flowering shrubs we have in Minnesota. Beautiful fragrance. Um, so yes, it just finished flowering. It's good time to prune it right now. Okay. This next texter, uh, Mary, I'm wondering if it's a good candidate for uh, for the uh, university website, but here, let me read it. Uh, I'd like to ID an unknown ornamental grass that was shared with me, texter says. It greens very early spring. It's about three feet tall, now flowering. Uh, any good books or online resources to ID that? Ornamental um, grass. You can you yeah you can go to my blog that I write about grasses. It's called grasstalk dot uh, dot wordpress dot org, and or if you just Google grass talk, you'll find it. I have a lot of pictures there on grasses because that's the research that I do. But flowering this time of year, the most popular grass is uh, Carl Forster uh, feather reed grass. That's the one we see flowering. It's about three feet tall. So that might be it. Um, this person could also, yes, go to the website, extension.umn.edu. You can send a picture of the grass to Ask a Master Gardener, and um, that's another online resource at the extension.umn.edu website where uh, we do like to have a picture come in of insect or problems with plants, and the master gardeners um, and specialists there can help. It's right. tough without a picture. Yes. This, this, this question was right up your alley for sure. Yeah, uh, right. Let's see. Here's a text that says, how long do rhododendrons live? A 25-year-old one had a partial bloom this spring, then leaves curled up on the top three quarters of it. It looks near dead now. So how long do rhododendrons live usually? Well, 25 years is a good amount of time, I would say. Uh, rhododendrons can be quite long-lived, but they're also subject to uh, a stress because of our winter conditions. So the winters are deadly on them. Uh, they tend to like more acidic soils than many times what we have. Native, our native soils tend to be more neutral and less um, acidic. So uh, we've had a couple of rough winters, uh, not necessarily th this past one, but the previous year was very devastating with lots uh, of deaths. So I would say 25 years you've had um, a, a good amount of time with that, and I think about getting a new plant. Okay. Here's another text. Uh, uh, is it okay to trim a mature Japanese yews in this heat? Uh, yes, you can do that. Uh, the heat is not um, so devastating to shrubs like that that are evergreen. They're well-established. Uh, so you you can do that. Okay. Trying to get as many text messages here answered as we can. Uh, I, there's another one. I have a patio eggplant that gets fruit about two to three inches long. How do I know when to harvest that? Um you know, size size is a big factor with eggplant. Uh, the traditional eggplant is black at the beginning, 
So it's not it's not something that changes color like a tomato does. So right, it's you can eat eggplants when they're young or when they're older. So I would say when it's if you think it's big enough uh, for you to uh, to eat, that's really the determining factor. And then once another thing could be once it stops growing anymore. You know, we know pretty much what the typical size of an eggplant can be. You know, it can be eight, ten inches even. And so once it stops growing then that's um, another t- indication that it's ripe. But, the, yeah, the color's not going to help you much on uh, traditional uh, black eggplants. There are a couple of uh, zucchini questions, uh, Mary. Uh, one is, uh, my zucchini fruit are rotting. Any ideas? And the other is, uh, we have a thick white fungus in our zucchini and squash. It's on the stems and on the ground, now spreading in the ground to other parts of the garden. They want to know how to control that. So what... What about the the uh, zucchini fruit rotting? That first question. Yeah, so that fruit rotting is probably the incomplete pollination or lack of fruit set that we talked about earlier. So what happens is that there are a lot of times the female flowers come out, and there are no there's pollens not available yet. There are no pollen. There are no bees out. The weather conditions. Uh, the fruit doesn't get set. And that small little fruit is on there because that's the the female flower of the squashes. And so when it doesn't set, it will just rot. So that's incomplete pollination. And um, it, it will happen with some fruits. We often see that early in the season. But as time goes on, uh, you'll, you'll have more fruit. So it's usually a, a phenomenon in the beginning. The white powdery, that sounds like powdery mildew, which is a fungus disease with heavy humidity, high humidity that we've had, uh, warmer temperatures, less wind. All of those things can cause powdery mildew. So um, some of the leaves that are really bad, you could cut those off and remove them. If there's any way to improve the air circulation around the area, certainly remove any weeds or anything like that so it's better air circulation. Uh, You can do that, but that's about it for powdery mildew. Commercial growers will use a preventative fungicide, but for homeowners, it's usually not fatal. Uh, and plants can usually uh, still live with it. Okay. Another texter, Mary, wants to know, what can you do with sucker plants from a William Baffin rose? Oh, (laughs) yeah. So if you've got sucker plants coming off, yeah, you could take a shovel and dig up that uh, sucker. Uh, You'll find that there's an underground root there from the mother plant to the younger plant. So you try to cut that and keep as much root as possible to the younger plant. But then, yeah, then you've got another William Baffin. So you can you can double your roses for the big climbing roses. <laughs> Very good. Uh, here's another texter. Uh, yeah, we've got a minute or two to go here. I just bought a contender peach tree. Do you have any secrets for keeping it healthy? It sounds like it could be a challenge. That came from Barb. Oh, Barb, good luck for you. Uh, this I don't know. I'm, I would have to look up contender uh, on Google Contender Peach. I'm not familiar with that variety. Um, peaches are not hardy for us in Minnesota, although I have seen peaches. I have tasted peaches from Minnesota trees. Um, maybe Contender uh, could be one, but it's very tough. 
the reason is their flowers are very early and usually get killed by frost. And then they're a short-lived tree. 25 years is an ex- a long life for a peach tree. They have got lots of other issues. Um, so, yeah, uh, good good luck. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, gonna it, be, it's really tough. It's really it's going to be a challenge, like she said, uh, no doubt. Yeah. We have less than 60 seconds. How about a quick answer? Can I prune my nine bark now? Yes. Nine bark tends to be quite an aggressive shrub, even though there's some short ones. It often tends to get long and leggy. And so, yes, you can prune it now. You can cut the top, cut the long, strangly ones, branches back by a third. Then you can go down to the base of the plant. You can cut it at the base as well by taking off a third of those stems. All right, very good. Real quickly, what's that website at the U of M? extension.umn.edu. Click on Yard and Garden. We've got lots of information up there with insects, uh, weeds, uh, and all the care for all of your plants around your home. It's a great resource. Thank you so much, Mary, for helping us out. Happy Fourth of July to you and your family. Same to you, Danny. Always a pleasure. Thanks very much. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.